It's really this ongoing story of, oh, it's benign. It's not really going to hurt you. Then it destroys you, right? And that's just kind of a pattern of so many things and just communities and, uh, you know, throughout history. And that's just the temptation that people have fallen into is we tell each other that it's that, that it's not going to hurt you and then it destroys you. And we as as civilization need to just become wiser to these things and recognizing when people uh, protest really hard uh, to convince you that it's not going to hurt you. That's probably a pretty good indication that there's some real risk there. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome to Outstanding, where we talk about the news of the day and the issues that matter and always from a biblical worldview. I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. A recent Gallup poll found that for the first time on record, more Americans are smoking marijuana than cigarettes. While cigarette use has declined significantly from 48% to 11%, the new polling showed that 53% of Americans think marijuana has positive effects on those who use it. And this, uh, not coincidentally, has led to legalization in many states. In fact, 21 states have legalized the recreational use of cannabis, and commercial distribution is also legalized in most of those states. Another 10 has simply decriminalized its use, even if they haven't uh, technically legalized it. The questions that we're going to deal with today for parents and families who are trying to deal with this new culture that is much more sympathetic to marijuana than we are used to, is marijuana as benign as many Americans now believe? What is the result of legalization, which is certainly a trend at this point? Here to help us answer these questions is Jamie Zerby, who serves as Chief of Staff for Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Jamie, thanks for taking some time and coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're glad to have you and just uh, to introduce our audience to how we got connected. And you probably don't even know this because I watched you make a presentation at the SoCon Con uh, a couple of months ago now it was in Charleston, South Carolina. And, and I was favorably impressed by the information that you had and thought that a lot of people deserve to know uh, what you're talking about. And so um, I'm thankful for the chance to, to do that. And before we get into the details of marijuana, I'm kind of curious a little bit about your story and how you came to be somebody uh, who goes to conferences and comes on podcasts to talk about pot. Well, um, we uh, thank you so much for your kind words. I really appreciate that. There's, you know, a lot of work that goes into those presentations, as you know, and yeah. uh, really, I just say that we're following the science. And uh, but really, my background is, you know, I worked on the Hill. I worked for a conservative nonprofit. And then I left the whole political industry. I worked in private aviation for a couple of years. And it wasn't until Kevin Smith. Private aviation, yes. So you were like a pilot? No, I am not a pilot. They do not let me fly airplanes. Okay. I <laughs> did okay. uh, marketing, branding, advertising, and um, and uh, that kind of thing for uh, some private aviation companies in the Northern Virginia area. And okay. I was very happy doing that until Kevin Sabat called and our CEO, uh, the CEO of Sam, Kevin Sabat who is, you know, really huge in this drug policy sphere. He 
called and said, you know, will you come be my chief of staff? And I mean, I can't say no to that. So I'm happy to be here, happy to be back in this uh, kind of world with uh, all of my, many of my pro-family friends um, here, just trying to fight the good fight and really try to educate people on these issues, especially as how they interact with, not only how they interact with you on a daily level, but how they interact with you, you know, on a policy level. Mm-hmm. Now you are doing valuable service as our audience is about to find out for those who are not yet familiar with you. And I want to start with kind of the, the fact that I led with that 53% of Americans think marijuana has a positive effect on those who use it, according to recent Gallup polling. What's your reaction to that? Well, you know, we don't really make scientific-based policies based on pop culture, right? We can't make policies based off what people believe. We have to make policies based off of, especially when it comes to substances, we have to make policies based off of reality. And we do know that, you know, the reality is is that this is not a benign substance, that, you know, the now we're looking at the average user of THC, there are 10 times as many daily users as there were 30 years ago. Can, can I interrupt you real quickly? Because you just said something that people may not be following. You said the average user of THC. Um, is What do you mean by that? Why did you not say the average user of marijuana? So THC is the psychoactive substance in marijuana that produces that high and produces those um, psychoactive effects. And so THC is one of hundreds of cannabinoids in marijuana, the plant. And so THC is what, you know, these companies are distilling and creating and trying to get into a concentrate. And when we talk about potency, we're talking about how much THC is in a product. Okay. So Jamie, according to Gallup, as I already mentioned, 53% of Americans think marijuana has a positive effect for those who use it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that for most people who use marijuana, they, you know, they might use it once and, you know, they're fine. But for what we're really seeing is we're not seeing the occasional users of marijuana. We're seeing that, you know, this has been, this is a product that's been genetically engineered to create and um, to create a user who's going to continue to come back, to create a recurring customer. Um, Daily users of THC products are now exceeding daily users of, of alcohol. And, you know, the average, which means that the average user of marijuana is now much heavier than the average user of alcohol. So we've seen, you know, in these legal states that, you know, unfortunately, like there is just more of an impact on the community and on public health and on public policy than people realize. We're going to drill into that a little bit. But I, but I also want to just kind of this, the shift in usage, uh, because marijuana, of course, you smoke it, you smoke cigarettes, those things are compared often. Cigarette use has sharply declined in recent decades. Meanwhile, marijuana use has sharply increased in recent decades. What do you attribute that change in pattern to? Well, I think that we, when we look at how, if you ask a group of 100 young people, if it's safe to smoke cigarettes, and we're talking young people like Generation Z, if you ask them if it's safe to smoke cigarettes, almost all of them will say no. Almost all of them will say that this is not, you know, a safe thing, that this leads to lung cancer. Everybody knows that because we've had decades of public health 
advertising and public health efforts to educate people on the dangers of smoking cigarettes. But if you ask that same group of 100 young people if marijuana is safe and benign and if it's safe to consume, the, you know, we're looking at like 60 plus percent of them that will say, yeah, it's totally fine. It's not going to hurt you if you use it, you know, once or I use it all the time. I've seen statistics that have said that 20 percent of high school seniors are using marijuana at some point in their high school senior year. So this has really taken over as the new tobacco. We've got this industry, this tobacco industry that has built their entire business model based on finding young people, addicting them to their product and making lifelong customers out of them. And, you know, they saw the writing on the wall years ago when this, you know, when tobacco executives were hauled before the U.S. Senate and asked, is nicotine addictive? And all of them said no. Ever since then, they've been trying to, you know, they've been on the defense of public health and public policy. And now they've found their new product and they're trying to addict the next generation. Now, you you suggest there that it's the same people. They found their new product, that this is the tobacco industry that's just marketing marijuana. Is that something that you can prove? Are these actually the same corporate structures? Are these the same individuals who are involved? Yes, and yes, and yes, all of the above. Absolutely, it's the same individuals. We've got, you know, former CEOs of pharmaceutical companies, even who are now the CEOs of marijuana companies. We've got alcohol and tobacco industries that are investing heavily in these marijuana companies. They're investing in, you know, companies themselves. They're investing in research, whether it's, you know, Anheuser-Busch and Coors and all these, I mean, truly all these companies are looking into THC beverages. These tobacco companies have invested in Juul and in these, you know, THC vaping things. So, I mean, it really is the same people. Like we have a list on our website that lists all these people who have been in one industry and then are now in the marijuana industry. So it's a long list of people. If you just Google it, you can find it. So in some ways, it's just this rebrand of the tobacco industry. Absolutely. Now, Jamie, you mentioned the increase for young people and how young people specifically uh, are really likely to think this is benign. What is the demographic that is, in fact, driving this increase in use? Is it young people? Is it old people as well? Is it a combination of those? It's really a combination. The pandemic obviously changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And interestingly, we saw that rates of, or alarmingly, we saw that rates of cannabis use disorder, which is addiction to marijuana, we saw that those rates after the pandemic have really gone up for kids aged 12 to 17. That is insane. These are, you know, young high school, middle school kids who have an addiction to marijuana. We have a member of our staff who entered rehab for cannabis use disorder before his 18th birthday. Um, so we're absolutely seeing that in the younger population. But NIDA released data at the end of last year that said that I think it was 46% of adults aged 18 to 29 used marijuana in 2021. And that was the highest number that it's been in decades, if not ever. I think it actually was the highest number that it ever was. So we've seen a huge demographic you know, in that young demographic, the college age and young adults, people who were really impacted by the pandemic, people who were maybe had to move back home with their parents, people who maybe lost their jobs because they just weren't for, far enough into their careers, people who, you know, have really been suffering and they've been searching for something. And we've seen, unfortunately, these 
you know, increasing rates of negative mental health effects and increasing rates of marijuana use. Now, Jamie, my guess is that most of our audience is not a regular user of cannabis and that they are thinking through this conversation more in terms of young people in their life, children, grandchildren, just friends and neighbors, and kind of understanding how this is, is coming at them. You used a term there, cannabis use disorder, um, previously in reference to an experience of a, of a staffer there at SAM. How is that different than addiction or is it different than addiction? So that is addiction. Cannabis use disorder is the, you know, medical term, clinical term for addiction to marijuana. But we're told you can't be addicted to marijuana, right? That's why kids love it. Well, yes, that's what we're told. But, you know, like I said, we can't let popular opinions dictate our health policy because that's not the reality of the situation. We just had our summit in Washington, D.C. last week, and we had uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky, uh, most people my age know him just as Dr. Drew, his daughter, Paulina came and shared her story of how she thought that, you know, marijuana was not addictive and she realized that she was addicted to it. And she's been sober for over 400 days and she has an incredible story, but she shares a lot about how this is something that most people don't, don't realize and how she still sees this a lot in her, in her daily life with her friends and with her peers. So this absolutely can be addictive. How do you convince people who don't believe it's addictive that it's addictive? I think look at the science because we have, you know, data that says that, you know, one in three people who are using this have the meet the criteria for an addiction that, um, you know, among those 12 to 17 year olds in legal states that uh, they're 25% more likely to develop an addiction to marijuana. I mean, just the, you know, the science alone, but when it comes right down to it, this is something that, you know, unfortunately people have seen in their own lives. And we, you know, as I tell people what I do in my daily life, you know, I had somebody standing waiting for the commuter train and, you know, what do you do? And I started talking to them and they said, oh my goodness, my nephew has been using marijuana for, you know, however long. And we had no idea it was an addictive thing. And, People are seeing this in their daily lives. They're seeing family members impacted by this and they're realizing it, unfortunately, through their own personal experience. But it seems like we're still on the other end of the bell curve where people are still being persuaded just because it's it's popular and kind of trendy, especially among young people, that they're, they're still kind of, they haven't had the experience yet with the lie. And so they're kind of on this just, uh, you know, to to borrow the metaphor of this high of this idea that it makes you feel good and there's no negative consequences. So yay, we can all be free. Well, that is, you know, that is popular culture these days. And it's really interesting because when I lobbied on this issue, I heard a lot from the libertarian folks who would say things like, you know, just let, you know, everybody back off. It's, it's, you know, to borrow a phrase, my body, my mm -hmm. choice. And it's really not an individual rights issue. This is a community health and a safety issue. This is not something that you do that only impacts you. Drug use doesn't exist inside of a vacuum. This is something that impacts everybody in your life and everybody in your community. And I do want to get to community impact right after we talk about one more subject here, vaping. Because vaping, for people my age, 
and I'm I'm in my 40s. Like vaping wasn't a thing when we were kids. Marijuana was a thing. And of course, you had kids smoking cigarettes as well. But vaping has kind of come onto the scene. And we now have children who are dealing with vaping. What's the difference practically? What would you tell? What does a parent need to know about the difference between smoking and vaping? My understanding is that marijuana can be vaped. It can be smoked. Does it matter what the difference is? So yes, marijuana can be smoked. It can be vaped. It can be consumed in food and other substances like that. Really what we're looking at when we're looking at vaped marijuana is we're looking at most of the time, we're looking at ultra high potency, THC potency products. So again, that THC is that psychoactive component of marijuana that produces a high. And we're looking at products that are 99% THC potent. That's in comparison to, you know, the 1970s Woodstock weed, like we like to talk about had, you know, three to 5% THC in that. So if you're, you know, smoking a marijuana cigarette, that's something that's going to, you know, in the smoking, the actual plant product, that's something that's going to have a lower potency, but the vapes, the concentrates, things like that are producing much more potent, uh, much more potent THC. They're producing much worse effects because we've seen through decades of scientific research that the more THC that something has in it, the higher the THC potency, the higher and greater the risk, especially for young developing brains. So these things are very easily concealed. They might look like a USB uh, thumb drive. They might look very benign, but they are not. And if you find that your young person is struggling with this and they don't know how to stop, there is help. It's not just you. It's not your young person. This is something that has been engineered by corporations to try to addict our children and try to get lifelong customers. So it's not something that is completely, you know, a one-off thing. It can happen to you. And if it's happening to you, I really encourage you to get some help. Yeah. And Jamie, you may have already answered the next question that I had there, but you mentioned the increased potency and essentially from when I was in high school and then in the mid nineties to today, the potency of, of much marijuana has increased fivefold. There's five times as much uh, THC in the marijuana as there was uh, three decades ago. Now that's purposeful. That's done to, uh, assuming it is purposeful, and you'll tell me if that's true or not, is that done to uh, just change the experience to get, make it a higher high? Is it done to make it uh, more addictive? Or is just the fact that it's a higher high, it's incidentally more addictive as well? Well, absolutely, it's purposeful. This has been genetically engineered, like I say, on you know a plant level, and it's been genetically engineered to produce more of a high because that is addictive. So yes, essentially, you know, when we talk about these products that are higher in THC, we're not talking about, you know, somebody buying, you know, a little bit of plant matter. We're talking about people who are buying sodas, gummies, candies, mm -hmm. chocolate bars, ice cream, things that have been, you know, things that are appealing to children, but things that are, you know, consumables that have these high THC potency extracts that are in them, that are baked into them. Yeah. Now, Jamie, now I want to talk a bit about community impact uh, because we know that 21 states have legalized recreational use of marijuana. 10 others have 
simply decriminalized its possession. Certainly law enforcement is not going after this in the way that they were. And in some places, of course, they're not going after it at all. What have we learned from those states? My home state of Washington, I don't live there now, but um, I spent most of my life there, was one of the first states to legalize recreational marijuana. Colorado followed suit uh, shortly thereafter. We have a number of states where we have many years of data now. What have we learned uh, that is the result of decriminalization? Well, I will just say there is a difference between legalization and decriminalization. And, you know, when we talk about there's really a spectrum here and there's kind of a false dichotomy because the option that we as a culture are given is that we're either throwing people in prison for smoking a joint once, which is wrong and we should not do, or we are opening up, you know, full legalization, opening, allowing this large industry to infiltrate our communities and to take advantage of our children, right? Those are the two options that we're given. And that's, you know, earlier when you talked about polling, those are the two options that people are given when they're given a poll on marijuana legalization, because they think that, you know, by legalizing it, you are righting the wrongs of, you know, we're not throwing people in jail anymore. We're not doing that. Um, So decriminalization, legalization, two different things. But what we've seen from this you know, rampant legalization, commercialization, and normalization is we've seen more users, younger users. We've seen, um, you know, because despite this narrative that this product is good for you or is harmless, uh, we do know that there are health effects from using marijuana. You've got an increased risk of heart problems. Uh, Marijuana use is linked to cancer. It increases the risk of psychosis five times among daily users, increases the risk of suicidal thoughts and behaviors, and um, is associated with dependence on other drugs, alcohol, tobacco, opioids. This is something that, you know, affects you as as an individual, but also on a public health level, we're looking at, you know, more drug driving crashes in these legal states. Now, one in four fatal car crashes in Colorado involve THC. One in four fatal crashes are involving THC in Colorado. The illicit market we've also seen has been a big boom. We're told that we have to legalize this so that we can regulate it and so that we will make all the bad actors go away. But that's just, that has not been the case either. So these states have not seen any of the promises from the marijuana industry really come to fruition. In fact, the promises that they've been, you know, made in that we'll have all this money for tax dollars. I mean, legalizing vice doesn't really end up working out for anybody in the end, except for the people who are making money off of it directly, right? So it's the same with marijuana. We've not seen states get a big boom from tax dollars in this. They're, you know, spending $4.50 for every $1 that they bring in to try to offset the effects of legalization, we've seen more hospitalizations, more emergency room visits. It really has been a mess. I want you to say that one more time. You said they're spending $4.50 to deal with the effects of legalization when they're uh, to every dollar that they're getting from legalization. Do I have that right? That's correct. So Colorado Christian University did a study where they their Centennial Institute did a study And they examined the costs of legalization. So the costs that include things like high school dropout rates, they include more hospitalizations and these car crashes. So this is a, you know, a number from, I think it was 2018. So I would venture to say that it's probably a little bit more now, but this 
really study goes to show that, uh, you know, the state brought in, you know, X number of revenue, but it really wasn't a net gain for them. It cost them for every $1 they brought in, it cost them $4.50 to offset some of the costs of legalization. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to be understand there uh, from a public policy level and say, oh, we're going to have a little revenue, but it turns out the thing that we're doing to generate the revenue is socially really expensive. And so we're going to have to pay for all of the harm that we're causing to to raise this one particular dollar. Um, but there's also just kind of this, this theological and this moral reality that you can't just do harmful things without consequences. And, and it sounds nice to just my body, my choice, all your weed and just do whatever you want to do and have everybody just be free uh, to be themselves. But we know when people are indulging themselves in harmful ways, as we are inclined to do as humans, um, there are social costs of that, not just individual costs of that. It's just another uh, piece of evidence that no man is an island. And uh, we do have an interest in what our neighbors are doing. And, you know, C.S. Lewis, and this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's relevant um, because we hear it culturally. It's like, what business of it is yours, what I do with my body and my time? And we just kind of, we all just want to be our own being. But C.S. Lewis uh, talked about communities and society is essentially a fleet of an armada of ships sailing along the ocean together. And every one of those ships has an interest in the steering mechanism in all of the other ships, right? The more modern analogy is probably our car. When you're driving down the middle of the highway, you care if the person operating the vehicle next to you knows how to drive a car. You also care if the braking mechanism in that vehicle works, right? And so morally speaking, that's how we are as communities is we are either self-regulated, we can control ourselves, we can stop when we're supposed to stop, we can go when we're supposed to go, we can turn when we need to turn, or we can't. And if we don't have that basic function as humans, we end up running into each other and causing all sorts of problems. And I see, I think the experience that we're seeing here is just proof of that reality that it, it's, uh, you know, there's this balance between what we can tell people to do, what we can require and what we shouldn't require, right? Because freedom is still a, a legitimate human interest. But the fact is, Nobody just affects themselves. This whole like moral standard of do whatever you want to do as long as it's not going to hurt somebody else, that as long as it's not going to hurt somebody else qualifier is much bigger than most of us want to recognize. Um, but I'll end that little sidebar, Jamie, and bring come back to another question here, um, because you mentioned that in Colorado, one out of every four car crashes their deadly car crashes now involves uh, THC or marijuana. Are the policymakers responding to this? As states are seeing the consequences of this legalization, has it caused anyone yet to stop back and say, hey, maybe that wasn't a brilliant idea. Maybe we need to rethink this. Well, I think other states are looking at this and saying, wait a minute, this is not what we thought that, this is not what we were told. We, we saw... Uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, and Arkansas in the last six months reject legalization outright on ballot measures. These are citizens who are looking at these other states who are saying, we're seeing what's happening in other states. And when it comes to the citizens of Oklahoma, they're seeing what's happening in their own state with medical legalization and with the problem that marijuana grows are becoming on public lands and on private lands. Mm -hmm. 
And they're looking at this saying, we don't want more of this. So policymakers, unfortunately, are slower to respond on this. But people are not. People are seeing this and people are frustrated and people are rejecting this for their own states. So, yes, this is something that people are concerned with, but it's not quite as, you know, easy of a solution as, you know, something else where you can just go on TV and talk about it for two minutes. This is something yeah. that's going to require some serious thought. And it's a culture issue. It's how are we going to make, you know, how are we going to make treatment for people who are suffering from substance misuse? How are we going to make treatment easier to, for them to access than drugs? You know, one of the things that seems very different between the tobacco industry and the marijuana industry, and though you pointed out the fact that in many ways those are the same, is we're not regulating the marketing of marijuana at this point the way that we came to with tobacco. Again, Washington State is my greatest point of reference for, for legalization. Um, and there are billboards everywhere. There are pot shops everywhere. You drive through certain certain places and you'll see three, four straight billboards and all their advertising is the nearest marijuana shop. Um, do you think as you know, Colorado and Washington and some of these legalization states experience some of the negative consequences of this, we see young people increasingly uh, being the ones that are being marketed to as a way of getting these products. And again, we have a lot of history with this with the tobacco industry. Will there be or should there be more regulation of how even legal marijuana can be marketed? Well, right now, there is no, you know, federally legal marijuana. There is, you know, marijuana still remains illegal on the federal level. And frustratingly, policymakers have looked at that and said, well, we have to make it legal in order for us to regulate things like advertising. But that is actually not true. The FDA has the ability to pull these things off the shelves right now. Um, they have the ability to say that this is, you know, being marketed in a way that's harmful. This is, you know, whether, however they classify it in their bureaucratic ways, they have the ability to do something about it. And I do think that we need to have some sort of regulation around this in legal states, for sure. In those states that we've seen, um, we've seen several states prohibit advertisement to children outright. But in these states, they're not prohibiting specific things such as, you know, prohibiting, you know, the use of characters like superheroes to advertise these products. So some of these advertising regulations definitely need a little bit of work. We just awarded our activist of the year to a doctor in Phoenix who has been working on this tirelessly to make sure that this industry can't advertise to young people because it really does impact people. It impacts the way that they see the product. It impacts the way that they see it as benign. And so you're, you're correct in that this is, you know, Unlike tobacco, who, you know, you can't have flavored products advertised, marijuana gets to do kind of whatever they want. And unfortunately, the their, you know, lack of federal legalization is something that the, um, you know, the proponents say, you know, if only this were legal, that's not true. We can do something about this right now, today. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as, I, as we talk about the the pattern of how this is being sold to people. It's really this ongoing story of, oh, it's benign. It's not really going to hurt you. Then it destroys you, right? And that's just kind of a pattern of so many things and just communities and, uh, you know, throughout history. And that's just the temptation that people have fallen into is we tell each other that it's that that it's not going to hurt you and then it destroys you. And we as as 
civilization need to just become wiser to these things and recognizing when people uh protest really hard uh, to convince you that it's not going to hurt you. That's probably a pretty good indication that there's some real risk there. Jamie, what would you say as as we wrap up here to parents, uh, maybe policymakers, just people who care about this issue, don't like the trajectory of just making vice more available, more common, less stigmatized. What can people who care about this do about it? Well, I think absolutely what we can do on an individual level, we can pray, right? And that's something that people look at and they say, oh, well, thanks for those thoughts and prayers. No, it does matter. This is a this is a cultural issue. This is a heart issue. This is something that we as Christians and as individuals can look at and say, how am, am how am I looking at this issue from a biblical worldview? What am I, what am I, how am I discussing this with people on a daily basis? Um, so it's, I think it starts there. It also starts with talking about this with young people, the young people in your life need to understand that this is not the marijuana that it was of 30, 40, 50 years ago, that this is something that can be addictive. Does everybody who use marijuana develop an addiction? No, but people do develop an addiction. And so it's important to know that it's important to be armed with the facts and the resources and the understanding that this is not a benign substance. It's important to... If I can add to that, the young people, I think, need to understand that the increased potency, it's really been in in significant ways weaponized. The children have been targeted, and we need to see what's coming at us, not as just like something that happens to be laying there innocently. It's been created specifically to attack you, and you need to know that as a young person to this point of it's not the marijuana of the 40s or the 60s or the 70s. Absolutely. You look at these products and they're colorful packages. They're, you know, kid-friendly colors. And it looks like the branding and marketing is great. It looks super cool. It looks like this is something that everybody's doing. It's also important for young people to understand that, you know, your peers are not, you know, statistically, your peers are not regularly using marijuana, even though they might claim to be. This isn't something that everybody is doing necessarily. This is something that we're seeing and we're concerned about. Absolutely. But this, you know, the younger generation right now are using substances less than my generation. I'm I'm 30 and, you know, people, my parents' generation. So this isn't something that just because you think your friends are doing it doesn't mean that they are. That's another thing that's really important. And parents need to make this known on their, you know, in their communities at your church. This is something that you're seeing, you know, your leadership needs to be speaking to this. If this is something that, you know, you're seeing in communities, you need to vocalize that to your elected officials. You know, all these great resources out there exist that help you get in contact with your elected officials. Use your use your voice and contact them and tell them that you don't want, you know, more legalization things. There's on our website, learnaboutsam.org, there's lots of information about, you know, federal policies that impact marijuana that are going on that you can get involved in and um, really just use your voice both on a, you know, individual level and a community level, but also on a national level. Yeah. And to agree with you. These are conversations that should be happening in churches, right? And the the goal of the church 
is to help us to disciple people, right? The Great Commission is to go into the world and not make believers. It's to make disciples. And as we become disciples, it's because we learn to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, think about every subject, every part of our lives in a way that is submitted ultimately to the authority of Scripture. That includes what we think about marijuana, Right and and plants and, and the appropriate use of God's creation and then the the uh, alterizations that we make to God's creation. So I would just encourage people who are are hearing this and concerned and maybe motivated have these conversations in church. It's the best place. If they're not being discipled by the church, they're being discipled by other people. It's better if that discipleship happens from the church. And again, the website uh, for smart approaches to marijuana is learnaboutsam.org. Jamie Zerby, chief of staff at Sam. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And for those of you who are with us, thank you for your time. We hope you've enjoyed being part of this conversation. We look forward to seeing you next time here on Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.